compliance, the practice of obeying rules or requests made by people in authority. This is the Pharmacy Compliance Guide with Jeff Hedges. Pharmacy Podcast listeners, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, our newest segment, the Pharmacy Compliance Guide. This is our second time with this show, and this is for the new year. Happy New Year, Mr. Jeff Hedges. How are you? I'm doing great and looking forward to this new year. It's uh, exciting, uh, exciting times, and for the first time in a long time, it seems like the whole attitude of the country has changed. I cannot agree with you more. I think we all have hope. Um, there's even people on the left and the right side who are who are moving forward with um, with unification on certain things. I know that the state of Pennsylvania, which is obviously my home state and yours, um, is going through some budget changes. And I think that it, it feels like to me that we're, we're having an opportunity to really kind of start some things over again. And I think healthcare obviously plays right into that. If you're listening to the show, the Pharmacy Compliance Guide, and you haven't heard the first kickoff show, you can go back uh, to the show notes. And below the show notes today, I'll have the original Pharmacy Compliance Guide, the one that we kicked off in uh, late um, December. But we're excited about today because Jeff really set the table at the end of the very first Pharmacy Compliance Guide to talk about a what-if scenario. And this what-if scenario, listeners, has become even more real today because with a vote of 51 to 48, the uh, Republican majority is moving forward to possibly and put into place to do whatever possible to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So uh, that's really the today's conversation and what better person to – uh, ask some of these what if questions to which I know we're just speculating Jeff but thank you so much for uh, being available for us to talk about this because I am very very curious about how this could affect uh, the business of pharmacy right off Jeff let's let's just jump into this so the what if if the ACA is repealed now that the Republicans have control of both house uh, and the White House and they are going to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act or attempt to, what does that mean? What does that mean for all of us? What does that mean for pharmacy? Well, everybody agrees uh, that the current system is broken, mainly because uh, when the bill was originally written and passed, it was rushed through with, um, with uh, no bipartisan support. It was pushed through on Christmas Eve and there was politics at play. And when it was done, it was mainly uh, pushed through with the government and the insurance companies work together to write the law. And it was to control healthcare payments to healthcare practitioners. Patient care and healthcare practitioners were not factored in the law. And actually, if you looked at the law and all 1,400 pages of it and all the subsequent 20,000 pages of regulations to follow it, patient care and quality of care are not even mentioned. And that is one of the true factors of why things have changed within our healthcare system. And uh, when we look at this uh, and go back to uh, before the Affordable Care Act was even created, 
both the Republicans and the Democrats had agreed on many things that were in the bill, uh, such as pre-existing conditions, children stayed on their parents' health care uh, insurance uh, up to the age of 26, as well as many other small portions of health care that benefited both the patients and the providers. In fact, 80% of the Health Affordable Care Act had been mutually agreed upon by everyone before the law was enacted and before uh, the President Obama came into office. And with the way things work in Washington, all that was forgotten before the Affordable Care Act uh, came into being, after it came into being, and now eight years afterwards, everybody's forgotten about everything. All the negative is coming out, and uh, that 20% that was added on is the devastating that 20% that if really affects every business, uh, every pharmacy, and every citizen of the United States. So let's uh, kind of break that up, and just from just from my perspective, I understand. I actually read a big portion of the ACA. It was very boring. If you want to put yourself to sleep, definitely get get yourself a copy. But I did read, um, I'd say probably a fourth of it, and something that um, that I'd like to convey to the listeners is the the posing the question so why is the ACA considered to be so bad what from your perspective Jeff why is it so bad basically it started off with eliminating uh, competition which it has uh, there's far fewer insurance companies today than there were before, uh, eight years ago it also fixed pricing not on the insurance carriers but on the practitioners then it turned over the management of health care and health plans over to the insurance companies and there was no oversight on premiums. The insurance companies have total over, uh, oversight on themselves and over what they're going to charge to the patients and what they're going to pay to the providers. And if you think about it, premiums have gone through the roof. And you, as healthcare providers, your reimbursements have gone through the floor. So the logical question is, where's the money? And no one's following the money and where it's going. And when you talk about competition, uh, competition has been eliminated mainly by mergers. I mean, we basically now have six insurance companies throughout the nation. And they're setting all the premiums and they're controlling the market. And if they get away with it, they're going to tighten it more and um, going to get worse. However, uh, according to the Trump administration as they're coming in, um, there's a new sheriff in town and insurance companies are not going to set everything, uh, set the, uh, the rules. And may, they may not even get a seat at the table as they start rewriting the uh, new health care bill. So, Jeff, what do you think we can expect the first changes to be made to, to our health care overall? And I, I have guesses to this, and I think one of the things is, is like you said, I think we're going to see, uh, we ho I hope to see competition in, in health care 
insurance programs and coverage come back. But what do you think the, the first changes to be made to this to this law will be? Well, the first changes are is they have to look at the bill, the current bill, and they're going to um, the votes are going to come through for legislation for repeal. And if anybody's hoping for changes for 2017, it's not going to happen because policies have already been written um, and premiums are already been collected. So there's no uh, for payments and premiums for this year. It is what it is. It can't be changed. So everything that's happening uh, with the repeal and replace is going to be set for starting in 2018. And when we get to the end of this year, everything's going to change. It's going to look totally different than what we have right now. And uh, depending on how it, uh, how it shapes up, it's going to change. And there's some uh, key items that we we'll want to look at as the bills come through and with the uh, uh, Secretary Price, or uh, if Secretary Price is confirmed, which uh, I would imagine he is going to be confirmed, he's an orthopedic surgeon from the state of Georgia. Uh, we also have uh, Congressman Buddy Carter, who's a good friend of his, uh, also from a pharmacist from uh, Georgia. They're working together, and um, Georgia does have a good place. In healthcare uh, legislation and how it's going, just because of these two jobs. You know, we we hear about practitioners, especially pharmacies, who are being reimbursed below their acquisition prices. You know, is this uh, true? And if so, how are the healthcare facilities able to really stay in business? And do you think that changes to the ACA are going to help, kind of uh, bring a solution to that? Because there's pharmacies out there not able to hire people, not able to move forward, not able to invest in their businesses, just based on this re- being reimbursed your co- being reimbursed below your cost, and I think it's insanity. Yes, it is true, and uh, our entire audience here uh, is living this. Again, as I said earlier, insurance premiums continue to climb, and reimbursements to providers are continually to being cut. Farm. Uh, Pharmacy uh, is one of the hardest hit uh, industries within healthcare. Uh, it doesn't help that we have uh, the three major chains that also own PBMs. Uh, they are working against the pharmacies um, and independents, even though there are more independents than the three chains combined, uh, it hurts. 75% of your generics are being reimbursed. Um, are being reimbursed at or below acquisition prices. The insurance companies have imposed the direct and indirect uh, remuneration fees. Um, and that clawback that they have coming 60 days after your reimbursement is devastating. And you can't plan on it because it's either a flat fee or per, uh, percentage and it fluctuates. Uh, and it fluctuates uh, from drug to drug, from insurance plan to insurance plan. And it's very difficult for the pharmacy to um, plan their their cash flow. And because of this, it has forced thousands of pharmacies out of business over the last several years. 
the only person that's been able to make any sense of this for me is when I talked to Flavio up at iMedicare. For some reason, he's been able to calculate and figure this out. And with all his ag- uh, algorithms within his software, he's been able to keep track of this. And he's the only one in the nation I've been able to figure uh, find that truly understands this. I absolutely love iMedicare. They've been a sponsor of the Pharmacy Podcast. They've created a lot of... Uh... Um, transparency in the marketplace, not only for patients to understand it, but obviously pharmacy owners. Um, I absolutely believe in what iMedicare is doing. Kind of brings us to the point or the kind of the meat of the subject under the ACA. What affects pharmacy the most is, of course, the pharmacy benefit managers, and they um, they just seem like it's a it's a mafia out there um, and. And they know what's going on better than anyone else does. And I think they put together plans to to proactively stay ahead of it as a, as a game, really, unfortunately. And we see, you know, price fixing per se, and there's no transparency. And so I think that that has to be one of the major pieces of new legislation that comes out is drilling down into the PBM's purpose what they do, the information they provide, the pricing they provide, and then uh, some kind of solid transparency that can't be changed depending on how much they pay their lawyers to change it that that just has to give um, independently owned pharmacies, national pharmacies, microchains, specialty pharmacies, really an even playing field with um, some of the pharmacies that are owned by the PBMs. And that, that's the worst part of it all for me. So talk to me about kind of um, mail, mandatory mail order and, and even the, uh, um, the competitive bidding and, and other pieces of this that, that you envision uh, needing to be changed. Well, there, from my point of view, and whether it's um, a, large, a lot of the large pharmacy organizations, they are – they're fixated on the big picture items, um, and they need to be fixed on them. But from our point of view, there are five major items, um, points uh, that we need to look at from our point of view at the local level. And when you're talking to your local media, or you're talking to your local congressmen or senators, these are the points that you need to really focus with them. The first one is, You've got to talk to them about the pharmacy benefit management. They have truly established a regulatory empire, and they have no oversight. They've established reimbursement rates for pharmacies with no input on your acquisition prices. They work in collusion with the insurance companies. They're setting price fixing with other PBMs. And they have no transparency. Even with mandatory state laws requiring transparency, take this outside of any other uh, any other entity within the uh, industry in the United States, the FBI would be shutting them down, and they'd be all going to jail, not in pharmacy. Second item is direct and indirect fees, or DRR fees. 
They were initially established under the ACA as a quality payment to you, the pharmacies, for providing uh, quality uh, patient services. However, uh, uh, ACA, or the Health and Human Services, uh, working with uh, these insurance companies' attorneys, gave the ability to change definitions within the ACA to change quality payments to the DIR fees. DIR fees are nothing more than an after-service fee or tax, deducted 60 days after your reimbursement. Again, it's devastating for any business to have this happen, and it's only happening in pharmacy. It doesn't, work, it doesn't make sense. The third item is this mandatory mail order. Insurance companies increasingly forcing patients to use their mail order pharmacy. The insurance company owning the hospital and the pharmacy, that is antitrust. Yep. That's not permitted. Right. So you can't do this stuff. Prescriptions are auto-shipped, auto-filled, without patients' consent. You know it. You see patients coming in all the time. They have they have more stock in their homes than what you do dispense in a month. And it's, it's not right. And who's paying this? The taxpayers. Patients becoming overwhelmed with the excess medications and DME products within their house. Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE are the payers who are the end users who pay for the extra fees for services not needed. And then that's basically every taxpayer in the United States. The new item that's popping up is orthotic products have moved to off the shelf. I can't believe the fraud that's going on. It's, a, it's the biggest movement of healthcare fraud I've ever seen. Uh, it has gone rampant throughout the country. Current the current practice allows a mail order company to advertise in all forms of media. The patient is contacted by the supplier who matches them with the physician over the phone. The physician writes a prescription, sends the uh, prescription to a mail order medical supply company who then ships the product to the patient. No medical necessity is required for off the shelf. Thousands of new fraud cases are coming in, are occurring every month. This is a massive scale organized crime has gone into, and I've never seen anything like it. The FBI, uh, the Postal Service, all the different federal agencies, investigative agencies have jumped into this, and it's all because CMS wanted to save money and move these orthotic products to off the shelf. They can change this very easily, but they're trying to save money, and instead of trying saving a few thousand dollars, uh, they're actually costing taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. And finally, competitive bid. Secretary Price, or sorry, Secretary Price, uh, has hated competitive bidding since the day this come in, uh, since it's come into play. He's uh, has drastically reduced patient access to DME POS products. Um, it's reduced the uh, reimbursement of DME products, which has less, uh, led to cheaper products being dispensed, therefore affecting the quality of the care and the quality of the product. So 
by, uh, on this area. Hopefully everybody has kept their P10 number, especially for their non-accredited non-accredited items, which is their pharmaceuticals. Kept your pharmacy, uh, if you file for a pharmacy exemption, you're in great shape. Whatever you do, don't give up uh, your P10 number, don't give up uh, or just uh, turn it in and let it go inactive. Dispense at least one item on your Part B number one, uh, once a month to keep it active. At some point within the next year, I th I, things are going to change in the DME world. If you don't have a P10 number, uh, it's going to take you six months to a year to get it back. So you don't want to go through that process. Pharmacies are in prime position to uh, reap the rewards of uh, getting DME back as reimbursements come up. And for DME facilities to start up, it will take them at least one year to get back up and running. You have the, uh, you're perfectly positioned to capture this business when it comes back. And that should happen sometime in late 2000. So I want the listeners to reach out to RJ Hedges and Associates, rjhedges.com. I know you, your team has put a, together a really nice document that can help the pharmacy owners um, pose and uh, intelligently understand and help their representatives understand the five components that you just talked about, pharmacy benefit managers, DIR fees, mandatory mail order, orthotic products, off-the-shelf uh, products, and competitive bidding. So reach out to the RJ Hedges team so that uh, they can help you kind of pose this uh, to your community, to these state representatives. And Jeff, I, I just thank you so much for clarifying and, make it, and making it simple as the uh, pharmacy compliance guide. Very much appreciate that. Thank you for your time. And this is an important topic. We're, the, we're positioned in the perfect place at the perfect time. And hopefully Congress will finally do something, work with the new administration, and stop looking at the lobbyists and the insurance companies and take care of the practitioners, the pharmacies, and most importantly, the patients. You were listening to the Pharmacy Compliance Guide with Jeff Hedges, leading the RJ Hedges and Associate team, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and we thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.